podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Tour Report from Secret Golf, the third major of 2022. I can't believe it's here already. Elk, I feel exhausted and drained after everything that was happening last week obviously rbc canadian open and we'll talk about the epic ending to the week for the pga tour live golf and their inaugural event at the centurion club in london i think maybe we start there and um charles schwartzel taking home what was it 4.75 million dollars I know it was. I listened. I watched the last nine holes of that uh, the live event. Actually, I watched about the first six and then the last four, and then I heard uh, Charles' speech when they had the presentation, and he was nervous. He said, "You know, I think he was nervous about the money." Uh, he started choking basically at the end of the event. <laughs> you know, Diane, it's um, and then, and then his team finished first, second, and third in their match to win an extra seven hundred and fifty thousand on top of it. Um, it's hard to differentiate the two right this right now. I mean, on one hand, the live golf scene has, you know, starts on Thursday and finishes on Saturday. So it feels like it's not encroaching. It didn't encroach on what we saw on Sunday in Canada, the great finish we saw there. Um, I'm not even sure if I'm going to answer your question. I'm not even sure if there's a question there, but uh, do you want me to round up what I thought about live? Yeah, let's let's start with that. I think that's um, that's important. Then we'll move on to what happened for the PGA Tour and um, what a fantastic victory they had in many ways on Sunday. But you know, you and I talked about it after Thursday watching Live Golf, and we both said that we thought overall it was a successful first day for them. We saw about 100,000 people that were streaming it on YouTube. Obviously, YouTube, Facebook and their website, those were the ways to watch. It seemed very fast paced and dynamic. I think as it went on, I got a little bit bored of the fact that the standard of golf wasn't great. It wasn't really too appealing for me to watch Charles Schwartzel win. Um, but I don't know. What did you think as, uh, as the, the final two days wrapped? Well, I think the golf course was difficult. I mean, they were having a hard time on that golf course. It was hard. I mean, one of the holes they couldn't even reach in two, par four. But, yeah, I mean, I think if they were playing a golf course where there was birdies everywhere, maybe it was, would be perceived slightly different or the guys were playing good golf or whatever. Um, I thought the production was very good for the first time of band. I mean, I remember when we went overseas for the first time and played in the Johnny Walker Classics where they we went away from the U.S. and did that. <clears throat> the production here was, um, you know, Camera angles were great. Shot tracer was great. Uh, commentators were good. I had a couple of girl commentators that were following the last group. I thought they did an excellent job getting in position, talking about the shots. Looking at it from that perspective, I thought everything went really well for them. The you know the presentation at the end where they where all they did was talk about the money is a little bit. It's a, we know it's a lot of money. It was a little tough to hear that because it was supposedly about a trophy. Um, you know, Diane, I think, I don't think it's going anywhere, no. you know, and to sort of summarize my thoughts now, I jump over to the Canadian and listen to Jay Monaghan talking about the tour and, you know, 
the Canadian Open didn't have a very good field either. And, you know, they were, some of the players were talking about it had a feel of a major. Well, it wasn't a major. I mean, John Houston played in the Canadian Open this year. Just so happened the three best players playing last week finished in the last group on Sunday. Tony Finau, Justin Thomas, and Rory McIlroy, who came on the champion on Sunday. I think the tour hasn't handled this very well. I don't, I'm hearing from sponsors that they're not that crazy about the tour banning all these players. And if there's 17 now and there's going to be maybe another dozen, let's say, tournaments around the country don't really want those guys finished. They don't want them suspended. I mean, everybody wants Dustin Johnson in their field, Bryson, Reed, and, and you know, you can nitpick and say they don't like him or whatever, but they're the massive draws. Phil Mickelson, these guys, if they show up at the Houston Open, one of them, it's a big event, you know, so I don't know what the answer is. I have no answer for you on uh, what's going to happen, but I just sort of just took it all in, Diane. Mm-hmm. And it was confirmed since we last, you know, did a show on it that Patrick Reed, Bryson DeChambeau and Pat Perez, who's part of the secret golf team, have all gone over. Um, and as you say, more names are expected. I think people probably want to you know, it's a major week. It's a big week. USGA are probably hoping that nobody announces that they're going to live this week. And I think it'll probably, they'll probably wait until uh, until next week and the, the major is out of the way. But I I don't know. I, I, I feel like we covered everything last week. And then after watching it and Jay Monaghan was on the telecast with Jim Nance on Sunday. And I actually... You know, I, I I was having a pregnancy nap at the time, so I missed it. But I came out and my phone had blown up, so I watched it back. I think Jay Monahan did a pretty good job of handling some tough questions that they're all still working out as well. I mean, this thing is evolving as more people join, so they're still working it out at the same time. And then you know the the human rights, the the appalling human rights record of Saudi is coming up. Um, 9-11 groups are reaching out to the players. That was brought up today in Phil's press conference at Brookline. This thing is just going to keep going. The golf's not going away, but the controversy's not going to go away either. And, the, you know, if you make a choice, there are consequences to the choices, and I think the guys are just going to have to keep dealing with that. It's interesting that the, all the um, groups that are, you know, sort of demonstrating this choice is they're, they're taking it out so severely on each player <clears throat> because the NBA, they, there's a lot of people that skate by on a lot of this criticism. Criticism. <clears throat> I'm not saying they're not without criticism. I'm just saying very intense towards Phil Mickelson uh, currently. Um, brutal press conference. I just caught up a little bit of it, uh, Diane, wanting to write letters to everyone in 9-11, et cetera. <clears throat> brutal, brutal questions. Yeah. Um, on one hand, we have tour players like Rory McIlroy and Justin Thomas saying that these guys, hey, if they want to go play, go play. On the other hand, now you've got the commissioner like totally picking them out and just thrashing them, trying to just degrade out their own players to try to get them to, I don't know what they're trying to get them to do, but they're they're really not happy with one another right now. But the PGA Tour kind of won the week when Sunday couldn't have gone any better for them at the RBC Canadian Open. They had Rory McIlroy, who is their number one guy, 
that that plays on the PGA Tour. He's on the Player Advisory Committee. He's been very outspoken about his negative opinion of Live Golf since the beginning. And he goes back to back at the Canadian Open. Not only that, as you said, Justin Thomas and Tony Finau in the mix until the very end. Finau made an amazing 46-foot putt on 18. And the fans were going wild. So it was a real celebration for everyone in Canada, for Rory, and I'm sure everyone at the PGA Tour was jumping for joy. Well, it, it was all the same. You know, the, t- the tour is the tour and um, it's got the network coverage and we all tune in on Sunday and we have Jim Nance and Faldo in the booth and the commissioner. And of course, we have the best players leading the tournament that week and all the controversy across the pond. And yeah, it was a great ending, but it's not done yet. No. I mean, Live Golf is here and they're going to play next event in Portland, not too not too far from now and there's going to be some other giant names Bryson DeChambeau as much controversy or, or not has surrounded him he's a massive name uh, to go to live golf the people I mean I just think back a short time when he drove it across the lake at the sixth hole of Bay Hill the most That's unthinkable think thing I've ever heard of yeah and then won the tournament the same day I mean there's never been a more uh, unbelievable figure on the golf course the way he pumped himself up and, and hits the ball um, we're going to have to see. It's funny you mentioned Bay Hill because Bryson is, he's an exhibitionist. He's a real draw in that sense. And I was at Bay Hill and my husband and I left the course to go to the driving range to watch him warm up. And there's hundreds and hundreds of people around him because you want to see what he can do. Obviously, he's coming back from, from surgery and injury, but... Yeah, he's a draw. And also, it's not going away because this there's going to be a legal backlash to this from both sides, probably. But, you know, there's going to be <laughs> there's going to be a lot of talk. This thing is going to be making headlines for a long time to come. Yeah. And the third piece of this wheel is, is the sponsors I spoke of, the tour sponsors that are already sponsored the PGA Tour. They're not crazy about 30 guys being wiped off the ledger that they're not going to be able to play their events. I mean, if you're a Jim Crane here at Houston Open, I saw Jim yesterday, he wants DJ, he's a friend of his, he wants Bryson, he wants all these guys playing the Houston Open. And now, you know, he's putting all his money up to sponsor the tournament and now he doesn't even get access to these players. So it's going to be interesting if there's a lawsuit on that side too and will it affect the money coming into the PGA Tour from the sponsors from that angle? Yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) It's just a lot to unpack constantly. So... We almost have to put that to the side this week because we have one of the greatest weeks of the year, the US Open, and this week it's at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts. This course is a real icon of American golf and one of the one of the most private clubs, one of the oldest clubs, and one of the five clubs that founded the USGA way back when. We've been looking forward to this one for a long time and... Um, I think it has all the makings for being just a fantastic U.S. Open. Yeah, for those that have never seen this course, they weren't old enough or they weren't around to see the Ryder Cup here when Justin Leonard made that monster putt on 17 uh, or 88 back in the day when Curtis Strange on a Monday playoff played Nick Faldo, 18-hole uh, extra on on uh, on Monday, Diane. This course is about as 
tricky and quirky and gorgeous as you've ever seen. It has rocky outcrops. It has blind tee shots, has drop away greens. It has Kentucky bluegrass rough that's nasty. It's got Poana greens. It's got bunkers that if you go in them, the only thing you can see is the sky. Not that long. Super, super quirky and tricky. And maybe four or five different blind shots drives players crazy being in the U.S. Open anyway, Diane, because if they miss the fairway, they've got to chop it down the fairway. But when you can't see where you're going and you've just got to hit, pick a spot, it's going to be very interesting, the mind games that this course is going to play on top of all the other mind games for being in the U.S. Open. I think the window of players to win this tournament is, is getting smaller and smaller. Well, it's a par 70, 7,264 yards, and you compare that to Tory Pines last year, so like 400 yards shorter, pretty much. We know that the US Open is always a real tough test and a true test of all aspects of the game, but the, the one trait that you see in US Open champions, and looking back, we had John Ram last year, Bryson, Gary Woodland, Brooks Kepka, Justin Johnson, they're all some of the longest hitters that we see, I was going to say on the PGA Tour, but we can't say that about DJ anymore. But, you know, they're, they're all about distance and bombing that ball. However, looking at the length and the layout of the country club, that's maybe not going to be the approach this week. Yeah, and all those players, and I tried to think of each one of them winning, each one of you just said, and I remember the latest one, which was John Rahm making that 25-footer on the 71st hole, left to right, down the hill at Torrey Pines, and then another 25-footer down the hill, left to right, on the 72nd hole. Seemed to me that putting for John Rahm was the key for his victory at uh, that one. Dustin Johnson, when he won up at Oakmont, same thing. Diane, I have I have curtailed my picks this week and I've got two you might be able to see I've got two circles on the in green boxes there's two black circles I'm taking two particular categories this week and I'm saying the best and the best of those two categories are going to be my picks this week okay well I'm going to be um I'm going to be looking at total driving because I think distance obviously it's a US Open but I'm really going to put more of a premium on accuracy this week as well in tree-lined course and there's always talk about the rough at the US Open and that video will surface at some point on Twitter of somebody dropping the ball in the rough and around the greens, that stuff. So I'm looking at, at scrambling as well. But um, Gilhan's design, last time we saw it, the 1988 US Open when Curtis Strange won at six under par. Um, it's undergone a little bit of renovation over the years in 2013, which we're going to be talking about 2013 in a little while, and in 2019 really to prepare for this US Open. But um, as you say, a lot of blind shots, a lot of elevation changes and a real classic golf course that we're going to see um, the guys put to the test around this week. And very small greens. I was reading on the USGA's website today that some of the greens are smaller than Pebble Beach, 3,200. The average green size at Pebble Beach is 4,000. You think of the seventh hole of Pebble Beach. You think of the fourth hole. Very small greens, Diane. They, some of these are 3,200 square feet, another 800 square feet smaller than Pebble. And I must remind you, Diane, that when Curtis Strange won here in 1988, 
Curtis was a straight hitter, and but absolutely middle of the range. No extra distance with Curtis. Beat uh, Nick Faldo, who identical game, very straight, medium range hitter. Is there a medium range player in this field, Diane, that can just hit these slopey runaway fairways, keep it out of the bluegrass? There's a lot of little tricky little. I was doing my drawings today, and there's all sorts of little. Uh, ribbon fairways that have almost serpentine where you it's not just straight away you got to hit across things and avoid other you know other angles and and all these different things who can hit the fail who can hit the driver where they need to okay well we'll get to our us open picks in just a second but the tour report is brought to you by dundonald links now, if you're planning your golf trip to Scotland, then this is definitely a place that you want to get on that list. They have just undergone a huge £25 million redevelopment. So it's the ultimate five-star luxury golf resort. They've got pretty much everything that you would want from the golf. Obviously, they have their 18-hole course. They have amazing practice facilities as well. But they also have um, something, if you're a bit of a whiskey lover, then this could be perfect. Elk, you like the bourbon, I know that, but this will be fun. It's, um, they do a, a whiskey tasting, basically, and you'll be guided by their in-house expert as you sample this hand-picked, diverse selection of whiskies. Now, the guy they worked with is a whiskey consultant called Blair Bowman, and they've created whiskies for this whiskey room and have over a hundred for you to sample. So there's definitely something for everyone. You can find out all the information online at dundonaldlinks.com. Right, so enough of the whiskey. We are onto our picks for this week's US Open. I, I feel like I've got loads of picks this week. We do have a load of names that we're gonna talk about. So we'll dive right in. We're gonna start as always with our outright favorites this week for the US Open. So obviously these are gonna be guys with shorter odds. Although I do have one slightly longer. I'm debating whether I want him as an outright favorite or a one to watch. I'm gonna follow your lead. So you start. You go for it. Okay, well, Sam Burns came on top of our list, and Sam Burns could very well have the pedigree, and he, and he could be absolutely ready to win this U.S. Open, no doubt about it. Um, I think about John Rahm, Diane, number one in driving accuracy on the tour, the combined driving stat, and number one in greens and reg. Number one and number one. That, to me, is just so fantastic. I haven't seen that since maybe... Greg Norman Day when he was number one and number one, but, but <laughs> John Rahm, I'm still saying his name because he's a friend of mine, uh, 161st in putting, Diane, and he's been very frustrated with his game. The word is he's not happy with every club in the bag. He's been doing some tinkering with some of his Callaway equipment to get the right feel and the right grind on his irons and the right three wood and all that. I told you a minute ago that I was going to take the best putter in the top group combined with the best driver. And by a mile in my stats here, Diane, and they're the same as yours, Patrick Cantlay is 15th in total driving and 8th in putting. The FedEx Cup champion last year does not have a major championship to his name, was beaten already in the playoff this year. Is it time for Patrick Cantlay? I mean, it won't, it'll be it will be a shock of all shocks if he doesn't finish his career with a major championship. 
and he is so suited. How much heartbeat does he not have? I mean, if you ever were more suited to be calm, to play (laughs) the U.S. Open, you know, well, is Cantley the calmest guy? Is he the calmest guy ever? When he won the FedEx Cup, they were calling him Party Ice because he's just <laughs> ice cold. Talking of ice, I know you're going to see Top Gun Maverick tonight with Ice Man. Very soon. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. We can talk about that at the end. I'm going to try not to cry like you. Seven times, seven times. Um, Cantley's yeah. 20 to 1 this week, and I yes. think those odds are pretty good. Yeah, and I think you know not to not to uh, you know beat the dead Patty Patty Ice, but uh, <laughs> he's been sitting in sitting below the pack here for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Had a decent week there at Memorial. Was right there, as I said, beating the playoff not not too many weeks back. I forget where. It doesn't matter. Uh, I'll remember it in a second. Um, where was he beating in the playoff? Right, uh, just a minute ago. Hilton Head, yeah, by Jordan Spieth. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot of top players up in this field here, Diane, of course, Scotty Scheffler. Uh, you have a story on him that we're going to talk about in a minute. I think Justin Thomas is the most, if I was if I was playing the tour right now, of course, Rory McIlroy is a, is a big, huge chance to win this tournament. Justin Thomas would be the, the most mentally prepared player. He just won the PGA, missed the card at Colonial. Now he's come back and had a great week at Canada. Yeah. He is another step mentally up above everyone else right now he is on fire as far as thinking and how that he just knows that that things are happening for him and he's just better than other guys mentally uh however i'm staying with my guy uh can't lay this week diane that's Um, Justin Thomas is 12 to 1, by the way, so definitely one of the favourites. I was very close to taking him and I watched his press conference today. He played Brookline last Monday. He hadn't played, we're recording this on Monday, he hadn't played any holes today. He was having a bit of a rest day because he knew that it was going to be crazy. That's how he prepped for the PGA, was to go and play a week and a bit before all 18. So he's obviously doing the same thing, which works great for him, but... I'm picking Rory McIlroy this week at 11 to 1. By the way, I picked him as my outright favourite last week. picked him last week. Yes, so I got the win. <laughs> but, I mean, I could go into all the reasons why Rory could win the US Open, but, I mean, it's obvious. I don't really need to, especially after we saw the victory at the RBC. Yeah, I mean, he's the bookies' favourite. The only question mark with Rory, there, I mean, there's two, to be honest, right now. There's always that question mark over his short game. And I saw that um, Sky Sports in the UK, he went to do an interview with them and he'd obviously heard that they were slagging off his short game a little bit. So he was like, oh, and uh, yeah, I I really can't chip, can I? So that was quite funny. But um, with Rory, the, the putter, and we this week on our sheet are looking at putting from five to 10 feet and he's ranking in at 200th on the PGA Tour right now. We did see him miss a couple of short ones on Sunday in Canada, but I think that his shot shape could be really advantageous on the setup of this course. Um, I'm sticking with him at 11 to one. Rory is my outright favorite for two weeks in a row. I don't blame you, Diane. Ride that horse while you got him. He's uh, from your side of the pond. He's playing great golf, very confident right now. 
uh, beat off two real champions yesterday with uh, Finau and Justin Thomas. Justin Thomas is a hard guy to beat right now. And I think he kind of had one bogey would have been interesting to see him come to the last hole tied or with one stroke. Uh, but it was a great win for Rory, no doubt. And his 21st victory, which gives him lifetime exemption plus one, which is great for him. All good for Rory. Um, I do. Let's talk about this name because he was very close to being my outright favourite, but his odds make him a bit of a one to watch as well. But at 30 to one, we're going to talk about Matt Fitzpatrick, who got off to an excellent start at the RBC Canadian Open. In fact, he's having his best season really ever and um, finished T5 at the PGA Championship. I mean, he had a bad Sunday and that was really it, but four additional top tens this season. And this is the really cool story about Fitzpatrick. So not only is he playing the best golf of his career, but he won the 2013 US Amateur at this course. So he's going back. His brother was his caddy for him that week. And... I mean, obviously, extra confidence when he turns up. He's talked about the fact that he loved the course and he's staying with the same family that he stayed with in 2013. So he's keeping everything the same. And I think that Matt Fitzpatrick at 30 to 1, I really like that this week. He was going to be my um, one to watch, <laughs> but the course is a little quirky like Matt like like Matthew himself, right? Everyone says he's a little a little different. Um, it'll be a huge advantage, Diane, to know this golf course. He's won the U.S. Amateur, as you said. You know, I just when I think of playing this course, I played it once, but not in a tournament. The mm -hmm. blind shots, the the sort of anxiety when you walk over the hill and you your ball's in the rough and you can't see it. So it's not like when you drive down the fairway and you see your ball in the fairway. There's, there's going to be a lot of this bouncing around and it's not going to go where you want to and how does that play on you mentally, et cetera. It's going to be good. Fitzpatrick has a huge advantage, got a great caddy. Uh, I, I have him as one to watch. Uh, using my, you know, formula, Diane, Max Honma has some nice numbers, 29th in driving uh, total driving and 26 in putting had 99 putts the other day at for the tournament at Jack Nicholas's course up at Muirfield Village for the week that is that's averaging less than 25 putts a day Diane that's like uh, 11 one putts a day on the greens so Honma's hot that's good I'm still going with Fitzpatrick is my one to watch Max Honma's <laughs> looking good Abraham answer Abraham answer has the same combo 30 33rd in driving, 37th in putting. So those, those three names, Fitzpatrick, Honma, Answer, they're all <laughs> ones to watch in my, my mind. I've got um, Max Homa at 45 to 1. Answer is 80 to 1, which is really good. Um, and I just want to mention quickly after we were talking about the 2013 US Amateur it's interesting to note some other guys that played that year in the tournament. Scotty Scheffler, Xander Shoffley, Corey Connors. So all guys that have a little bit of course knowledge heading back to somewhere that's pretty familiar. I need to mention one other name and that's Cameron Young because I would feel like I was cheating if I didn't. I've been so big on him. I mean, in his last four starts, three top threes, T3 at the PGA Championship. I was big on him that week. I thought he was going to win it until he had a costly few holes coming down the stretch. But um, at 50 to one, I have to put Cameron Young in my picks this week too. 
Yeah, that's a great pick. Cameron Young's going to be a star on our tour. Hasn't won yet. Don't know if it'll be the U.S. Open this week for his first win, although he is a Northeastern guy. Yeah. Uh, those guys seem to play well, just like we talk about when they're out in California. Uh, you said Alexander Schauffele. He could show up pretty good this week. Diane drives the ball very well. Uh, played the tournament here, as you said, in 13. Um, yeah, okay. we're looking good. And then, well, we have Dark Horses. Oh, my gosh. I have one other name that I wanted you, to You got another name. Um, Tony Fino. <laughs> oh, you had Co-Crack, didn't you? Well, he's going to be my Dark Horse. <laughs> oh, sorry. It's blowing the surprise for me. But um, worth mentioning Tony Fino at 35 to 1 as well. Um, after he's found some big, big odds this week. Big odds this I week on so. guys. And um, the thing about Fino is we talked about the fact he had that great end to finish second at the Canadian Open with that 42-foot putt. But he's had three top tens in the last six weeks. So he's because for a while he was off the charts and we weren't really seeing him in contention any week. But he um, he played great last week off the tee and putting. So if he can keep that going, Tony Fino at 35 to 1 all over that but I'll do my dark horse since you you gave it away back <laughs> I, I've never said I never thought of Kokrak with three wins in the last year and a half as being a dark horse but carry on he is 130 to one can you believe that Jason Kokrak and I mean we talk about long hitters fading well at the US Open Kokrak's always been one of the most powerful off the tee but when you look at total driving this week so the distance with the accuracy he's sitting at eighth on the PGA Tour right now for the season so that's a phenomenal stat he's always been known for his length however what really won him his three wins is more tactical play and fantastic putting so we're seeing I know you look at his results over the last little while and there's nothing to really shout about but I'm going to take that a little bit with a grain of salt because I think that Kokrak could put it all together and this course could be a great fit for him at 130 to 1 yeah when Kokrak won in Vegas I want to note that he's always in the top three or four and at the end of a week he's always in the top five at distance off the tee do you know when he won in vegas he was like 25th off the tee he played total strategy hit irons off the tee and he won the tournament with his putting and then who can forget last year at the colonial when he dueled with jordan steve down the stretch he just made every putt so kokrak can putt and i'm curious to see if he he'll um play all strategy this week because he can do it he can he could he he should could will win a major if he can get that kind of form going and play the play the combination of long hitting and strategy. Yeah, for sure. That's a good pick. Okay, good. I've got it. I've got a U.S. Open champion, Diane. I think at one hundred and ten to one, Webb Simpson, who's showing up two green boxes in my in my category here. Twenty seventh in putting, forty second in oh sorry, twenty seventh in driving, fortieth in putting. And K.H. Lee, I'm not picking two, but they both have two green boxes. It's not very often that you get guys on the second sheet that have the green boxes. You know, once they start turning red and yellow, it means they're starting to fall down the list of, of, of good players. And, you know, when I think of what does 42nd in putting mean, you know, it's we know what we know what the number one putter is, Cameron Smith. He's better than anyone else. But 42nd to me in putting and 42nd in driving – sort of guarantees that they're going to be in the cut. Mm -hmm. They're better than 20 places below the cut line. And 
on this course, Diane, I have I don't have the year, but Francis, we met, was the biggest underdog ever. He'd be 10 million to one, lived just right outside the gates of that course behind you there, came on and beat the two greatest players, Ted Ray, uh, in the US Open. You'll find out the year for me and you'll put it up. Uh, I don't want to get it wrong. But one other player who doesn't quite have the numbers that I want, but Hayden Buckley, and you know who this is, Yes, has some 29th in, sorry, 19th in driving, 34th in greens and reg, 150th in putting, doesn't fall into my category, Diane, but 500 to 1? Are you joking me? When I saw that on our sheet, I was like, what? Those are great numbers. Yeah, so I think the odds are up because Uh Vegas knows that a lot of guys cannot win the U.S. Open mentally, so they just put them up, hope all the punters put their money on all the guys with the big odds, and and they rake it in. But it's our job to pick through and find some guys that we think that actually can do something at 500 to 1. Yeah, Uh, 1913 for that U.S. Open, by the way. (laughs) Ted Ray and he beat Ted Ray. Yeah, I love the fact it says it was won by a relative, by a then unknown. How do you say his name, Francis? Francis, we met. We met. (laughs) Yeah, like you and I were down the street and then we met. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, did 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 he beat Ted Ray? And there was was there three in the playoff or two in the playoff? I don't know. I'm going to look it up and see. Let me have a look. Um, 1913, Ted Ray and Varden, Henry, um, Harry Varden. Harry Varden and Ted Ray were the two best players in the game at the time. Think about for now, you had Justin Thomas and Rory McIlroy in a playoff with a, with a 10,000 to one shot of a kid that lives outside the gates of the course of the US Open, Francis, we met. Yeah. And he came out on the, on the playoff and beat the beat the two guns of the day. Could you the, imagine? The winning score was plus 12. I think the USGA would be delighted if they had a winner at plus 12 this week, but probably not going to happen. Anyway, um, so much to look through. And go and have a look at our sheet this week because it's really interesting. And as we say, the odds are up for a lot of guys. It's on our SG Tour Golf Gaming app. And play along, get in the games. Elk will open up his game so you can take part and go up against us, put together your four-ball team and see how your guys do. But um, US Open, Elk, what are your memories? Like when I say a US Open, what are the, the first things that spring to mind for you? Well, I didn't really have any good ones, so I don't have any any playing memories, but it's always on Father's Day, which is a big thing in our house, uh, not just for me, but for all fathers. I mean, I, I remember I remember Tom Watson when he chipped in at Pebble Beach in 1982. I remember, you know, um, Curtis Strange in 1988 in the Monday playoff. I mean, I remember Jack Nicholas. I remember all these different, at Baltus Roll. I remember all these iconic U.S. Open sites and watching, you know, even some of my friends that uh, that won the U.S. Open, Tiger Woods, of course, um, you know, Lee Jansen back in the day at Bolsa Shore, and everything was on Sun on Father's Day and seeing them with their dads it was it's amazing. It's amazing time of year, 
to have the tournament to finish on a Sunday on Father's Day. You know, I just thought there of Max Homer quickly because we mentioned him, but um, because our baby's due in November, I think his little baby boy's due the same time. Can you imagine if, because he won on... He won on Mother's Day earlier this year at the Wales Fargo Championship. Can you imagine he won on Father's Day the same year? <gasps> That's it. I'm picking back yeah, somewhere. I'm changing it all. <laughs> but uh, I said him first. You did. <laughs> right. I didn't know that stat. That's a good one. That is a good stat. That is a good one. We have to remember that. You should you should tweet that to him because he'll respond to that. Okay, we'll do did that. You, did you know, Max, that you won on Mother's Day and if you win... This week, you'll win on Father's Day. You'll be the only person in history. That gives me chills. (laughs) Right, thank you very much for watching our show. Don't forget, check everything out on the HD Tour Golf Gaming app, and we'll be back next week for the Travelers' Championship. Sports Social Podcast Network.